Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sundays, please visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. My name's Matt, and one of the leaders here, if we haven't met, and uh, I've asked Stephen Albion uh, to co-teach with me this morning, and many of you know Stephen. He's part of the team that we are preparing to send out to plant a new church in Portland, Maine, and it's his first time teaching this morning, um, so we're really excited about that, and we're really dedicated over the next, uh, what is it, five months now? Um, to uh, training these guys and equipping them and raising them up, giving them all the tools that they need to be able to go out and plant their own church. So in the meantime, uh, we are continuing in our series on practicing the way of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 9, verse 21, and we'll pick up there in a moment. When Jesus calls his disciples, he calls them to an entirely new way of life. Uh, He calls them, as any rabbi would call any apprentice, to uh, come and follow him, to take up his yoke, to uh, take up his way of being human, to follow his way, to practice his way. And Jesus was no different. He was like all the rabbis of his day in that respect. Uh, and, And the implication is that though Jesus is unique from every other rabbi of his day, uh, it means that following Jesus starts with belief, but it was never meant to end there. It, It is a call to follow Jesus with your whole life, with all of you, and to practice his way of being human. And central to the way of Jesus uh, is this call to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow after him. Uh, And we recognize that though this is central to the call of Jesus on our lives, it's actually rather odd language uh, in our age of hedonism and pleasure-seeking. But that's what we'd like to explore this morning. What is this call, and how do we engage in it as a daily practice, like you would with any other spiritual discipline? So if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 9, you'll notice that in verses 18 through 20, Peter has finally figured out who Jesus is, his true identity. He says, Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. And no sooner does Peter say that when we get verse 21. This is what it says. It says, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. And he said, the Son of Man, which is a title for himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. In other words, he's saying, hey, I must suffer, I must die, I must be resurrected. And then he said to them all, in the same breath, whoever wants to be my disciple 
must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Before we go any further, um, let's say a quick prayer. Father, we adore you. We sit in your presence right now, ready to receive your truths. Father, highlight these areas of our lives that, that we need to bring to you to deny ourselves. Father, set our hearts in tune with you. Father, harmonize ourselves to, to you and to your word. Thank you, Father, for this time. Amen. From the day that most of us were born, we were fed a message. This message uh, is not complicated. It is not overly complex. It is easy to grasp and agree with. And the message is this. My life is about me. It's about me and my pleasure and what I can get out of life. This message is first fed to us by our ego and our own human nature. Uh, babies are born believing that the world revolves around them. Uh, and hence you get the terrible twos, uh, which is actually when most human beings are, are first confronted with the fact that the world doesn't revolve around them. <laughs> They're trying to grasp onto this new harsh reality, and it's terrible. But no sooner do we recover from that illusion when we become highly susceptible to advertising and to the mantras of our culture, which enforce and then reinforce this simple idea that life is about me and my desires and my pleasure. The goal of my American life is freedom and happiness. And freedom is defined as the right to do whatever I want, whenever I want, so long as I don't hurt others in the process. If freedom is doing whatever gives me the most pleasure in the moment. And under this model, our lives are ruled by what the Bible calls the flesh. And because for the most part, we have been feeding our flesh and living for our flesh, which we'll define in a moment, most of us are shocked by the challenging call of Jesus when he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves pick up their cross daily, and follow me. This is scandalous. This is offensive. This is confusing. Un-American. Deny yourself? I thought I was supposed to fulfill myself. I thought freedom was satisfying every desire. And taking hold of every pleasure that life has to offer. What do you mean deny myself? But at the heart of it, 
Jesus is after two things. First, he's essentially posing the question to his disciples, would you die for me? I'm going to suffer, die, and be resurrected. Are you willing to follow the same pattern? Would you die for your allegiance to me? That's question one. And we each have to wrestle with that question this morning. Would you and I face death before giving up Jesus? To which I hope our answer would be yes. Uh, In fact, in light of the coming resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth, it's actually the best thing that we could possibly do. So that's question one. Would would we die for Jesus? I'll go ahead and say yes, absolutely. But that's not all that Jesus is after. He's essentially challenging his disciples with, with a second question, which is, would you live for me? He doesn't challenge his disciples to pick up their cross one time and be physically crucified with him, although that is the fate awaiting some of them. Instead, he says something different. He says, will you pick up your cross daily and follow after me? as a habit, as a practice, as a discipline. In terms of physical life in the body, his disciples can only die once. But there is another type of death which Jesus is asking us to experience daily while we're still alive. And in fact, this daily death, Jesus says, is going to lead counterintuitively to greater and greater life. But the only way to understand this daily death is through the simple lens of flesh and spirit. Our secular culture essentially says that you are more or less a highly intelligent animal, that you should follow your instinct, follow your heart, chase down the desires of your heart, Secular culture embraces and celebrates what we would call the pleasure principle. Do what feels good and avoid what is difficult or painful. But the Bible calls this set of desires your sin nature or your flesh, which operates out of this pleasure principle. And and the scriptures say that that your flesh is full of disordered desires that are running haywire, that are out of whack within your heart and mind. Every single one of us was born with certain desires, desires for food, for sleep, for sex, for self-preservation. And in some sense, those are very good and natural and from God. But when we feed the flesh, these simple desires can actually come to dominate our lives. They become disordered. They're too loud. They're overwhelming. And and they actually begin to enslave us. 
And so the Bible says that you don't feed the flesh or your sin nature, but rather you put it to death. The culture says that freedom is following the flesh and its desires, indulging in everything that catches our eye. But the Bible has a very different take. Listen to this. Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Interesting. That's the culture's definition of freedom. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So I say, now here's the alternative, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another. They are at war within you so that you are not to do whatever you want. You can't just do whatever you want. You can't just follow every desire that emerges from your heart. If you do... You will be ruled by your desires. And the scriptures say, hey, half of your desires aren't so good. Now remember uh, that we're in the middle of a series on becoming like Jesus through the spiritual practices or the spiritual disciplines. And today's practice has to be central to life with Christ because at the heart of the call to discipleship is a call to put the flesh to death, to deny the worst part of you, which the scriptures say is both dead and dying. In fact, this very passage, a few verses later, Paul says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Notice that language of crucifixion that Jesus also uses. He says, you are to to starve the flesh. You are to deny the flesh, crucify the flesh. And that's something that happened in the past as a one-time death. Your old self is gone. Your sin nature has been crucified with Christ. It's behind you. But, by some mystery, it's also a daily practice. We pick up our cross daily, Jesus says. We deny ourselves daily. There's some remnant of flesh and sin nature that no longer is us and no longer rules us, but it limps on. And so we crucify that remnant daily. We starve the flesh and we feed the spirit. 
We put off the old and we put on the new. We walk in step with the Spirit while crucifying the flesh. We put to death the misdeeds of the flesh by the power of the Spirit. We set our minds on the Spirit instead of the flesh. We live by the Spirit, walk in step with the Spirit while allowing our flesh to die. So, quick recap. What does it mean to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross daily, and to follow after Jesus? What does he mean when he says that? First off, it means that we're willing to deny or set aside our, quote, right to live. Second, it means that we deny our flesh or our sin nature and crucify it daily, that we deny our worst desires. And finally, it means that we're willing to set aside or deny the good stuff as well, our best desires. And I've asked Stephen to unpack that final piece for us. Thanks, Matt. So on one hand, we are called to obviously deny the bad. And on the other hand, we're called to deny even the good. The concept of self-denial is so evident in the way that Jesus walked. There's no denying it's at the very center of Jesus' teaching. But going beyond that includes a concept of a surrendered life, the denial of everything, our families, our friends, our hobbies, our occupations, whatever. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing inherently sinful about any of these things. We serve such a good God, and he tells us that if we delight in him, he will give us the desires of our heart. Now, this is the question I had asked myself a couple months ago. Am I even aware of the desires of my heart? Or do I float from from one thing to the next, one hobby, one job. We're commanded to surrender everything, putting our most cherished things in the hands of God. God created us to love, to serve, and to worship. Being created in his image for the act of worship, not the act of falling into our our selfish desires. So Matt talked about the releasing and the denying of the bad in our lives, the sin. We can let it crowd our judgment and control us, but now we need to recognize that the good things in our lives can become idols. That if we allow them, they can take focus off of what we were created for, and that is to bring glory and honor to God. Today in America, we can have almost anything we want. If we put in enough time and money, make a sacrifice here and there, we can get most anything. For some of us, that's a higher education. Others, that's a, a better paying job, a bigger home, a little plastic surgery and a prettier face, or a larger retirement. There's a whole slew of possibility. Everything is, is acceptable. We can grab everything. Whatever it is, we can usually obtain it and continue to buy into society's idea of happiness. And that is the lust for what we do not have and the pursuit of things. 
Here we have the American dream. We live in the land of opportunity, but how much has it cost us? The majority of this is a blessing. I love America. Um, having the freedom to go and do and work as we wish is awesome, and yet our hearts still cry out for more. There's something, there's a longing for something greater, and that is that we're called to deny ourselves and bring it to all to God. I am by no means an expert in this field, um, and I'm only just started to apply a little bit of this to my life. Um, if someone was to ask me six months ago um, to give up my, my dream of federal law enforcement, um, I would have said no, just straight no. Um, and actually, I did continue to say no. And as Matt had mentioned, we're now planting this church in Maine, so it didn't really turn out too good in my... <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, so I had this dream, and, and I, I had dreamt for, about it for seven years, about bringing justice to those who couldn't fight for themselves, discipling young men through my work, and a desire of working my way up through the chain of command to finally bring a kingdom influence in our justice system, but yet it still didn't feel right. It's not that it was evil, it wasn't an inherently bad dream, but that wasn't the problem. The problem was that I was hoping God would just endorse and then bless my dreams. I never asked if this was God's plan for my life. I just assumed. Why, why couldn't it be? We need to come to a place of surrender. To come to him to ask the questions of where, when, and how do you desire for me to bring glory to you? I began to realize I was living as if God had been created for me and not me created for God. So finally, I called an old friend and I said, how, how do I do this? And he said, surrender it. That's all. It's not a magic pill. You just got to surrender this. So that's what I did. And I began to ask God what he wanted for my life. And God responded with a completely different plan and set into motion planting this church in Maine. I was so wrong in that I thought this wasn't going to be an adventure. Instead, I'm filled with joy, peace, and a longing for the adventure that lies ahead. God designed us to place him first. For us to deny not only the temptations and the lust for evil, but also deny our families, our good intentions, and our dreams. The other day I read in The Purpose of Man, which is an amazing book by A.W. Tozer, this quote, You are a mirror of the Almighty, and this is the reason you were created in the first place. This is your purpose. You're not created so that you might only take something over here and put it over there, work. You were not created only that you might develop your brain so that you can speak with cultured accent, education. Neither are we here to enjoy ourselves, even the pure pleasures of life, nor are we here for the thrills life brings? We cannot begin to mirror our Creator without first denying ourselves, denying everything, placing God at the front. I could read throughout Scripture of men and women denying themselves testimony after testimony from all over the world of men surrendering, women surrendering the best plans to live out God's plan. In my opinion, one of the best examples of this in Scripture is the story of Abraham and Isaac. It's a key example of what true denial of self looks like. 
In Genesis 15, God promises Abraham a son from his own flesh and promised to make his descendants as numerous as the stars. But then later, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, to give up the one thing he loved most. Was there anything sinful about Abraham loving Isaac? I think we can all answer that. Not at all. And I can only imagine what would have went through Abraham's head at at that point. But Abraham, with full faith, trusted that God would provide a sacrifice. In full reverence for the Lord, he hikes up the mountain with his son, the wood, and no replacement sacrifice. Abraham's obedience to Jesus required self-denial. It opened his world to new possibilities, and the same is true for us. There's nothing sinful about our families. I want to emphasize this. Nothing is sinful about working a really good job or embarking on an amazing career. Nothing is sinful about buying new clothes or living in a new house. It's deeper than that. It's about our heart posture. We have to be willing to deny all of those things. We have to be ready to surrender everything, even the really good stuff, for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. We deny the flesh and our sinful nature. We can also come ready to surrender the very best that we have, the things that we hold dear. And that is what Abraham is doing on the mountain. That's what the disciples are doing when they drop their nets and leave their boats. And that is what countless men and women throughout time have done for the sake of Jesus. And they found a richer life on the other side. We give up the good to experience the best. A richer, fuller life with God in the here and now. A better story to live with an eternal reward in the age to come. The more we would surrender here, the richer our lives will be. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For there your treasures in their heart will also be. Luckily for us, God is not calling us to deny ourselves from the people and things that we love just to make us suffer. He's not trying to separate us from happiness and joy. It's quite the opposite of that. When we take this step and begin to deny ourselves from our actions, dreams, and belongings that surround us, we begin to draw closer and closer to our Creator, the eternal reward. The thing of this world are temporary, lasting only long enough to bring a short burst of joy. When we deny ourselves and pick up our cross, we unlock a deeper relationship with God. God becomes the ultimate source of our joy and happiness. We need to partner with God daily. Picking up our cross and denying ourselves and our flesh, we have everything to lose in the natural life of this world, but everything to gain in eternity with Christ and being in his kingdom. Awesome. Thanks, Stephen. Well, hey, uh, just a few practical thoughts as we close. Uh, I want to end by asking the question, how do we do this? So we've just got a snapshot of this call that's central to discipleship. It involves willing to lay down your life. 
It involves willing to deny the worst parts of you. And, and it also involves being willing to deny or surrender the very best things that we have. I love what Stephen was saying. Isaac was the very best thing Abraham had. He had, in, 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 our, in the eyes of our secular culture, Abraham had full right to, to maintain that and to keep it. And he said, no, I, I surrender. And, and so there's this piece of surrendering the very best that God has given us. But I want to end by asking, hey, how do we go about that? It sounds like this big, crazy concept, but like, what do I do on Monday morning? How do I move forward with this? Um, how do we go about that denial of the best, or denial of the worst and surrender of the best? Um, three quick practices that we want to mention as we close, if you're taking notes. Uh, and the first is fasting. Now, we'll talk more about fasting in a few weeks as a standalone practice, but just think about what fasting is for a moment. You deny yourself something good, something totally permissible, i.e. food, but in the process, a fast will often expose the flesh, starve the flesh. And if it's done well, it should shift our attention and our focus and even our appetites to the Spirit. Is food sinful? Absolutely not. But God created us to eat and drink and enjoy those things. But when we fast, we deny ourselves in this way, and it actually works something in us to starve the flesh and feed the Spirit. And often, Oftentimes, as we do that, as we expose the flesh, as we shift our appetites toward the Spirit through fasting, um, it's, it's quite common for our sinful addictions, whether it's to food or to alcohol or to pornography or to whatever it is, it, it's very common in fasting for those things to be exposed and broken through that process. As we expose and starve the flesh, as we shift our appetite toward the Spirit. So that's one uh, tangible practice that helps us shift from one to another. Another practice worth mentioning is simplicity. And we talked about the practice of simplicity a few weeks ago. But think about simplicity. Simplicity is essentially a form of self-denial within the consumer economy. Uh, simplicity is the practice of living with less and rejecting the lie that more stuff equals more happiness. Uh, instead of asking, how much can I accumulate, or, or how much material stuff can I gain or get or gather, simplicity cuts the other way. And it says, hey, how little can I live with? What do I actually need? Uh, we deny the impulse uh, to run wild and to buy everything in sight. And as we practice simplicity and stand on the truth that less is more, again, it exposes the flesh and it exposes the lies that we believe about consumerism. Because the flesh always wants more and it is never satisfied, ever. It is convinced that life is found in consuming that food, that drink, that show, that gadget, that girl, that guy, whatever it is. The flesh drives us relentlessly toward lust for the material, 
and overconsumption, and simplicity cuts hard in the other direction, breaking our addiction to stuff, and again, exposing the flesh, starving the flesh to feed the spirit. Simplicity points us to the reality that true life is only found in God and that what, wherever our treasure is, there our hearts will lie also. So we practice fasting on a regular basis. More on that in a few weeks. Uh, we practice simplicity with our possessions, with our money, with the shows that we watch, with our schedules. And these simple practices help to starve the flesh and spirit and feed the spirit. They are tangible ways in which we expose and deny the very worst parts in us, and we pick up our cross to find greater life on the other side. Awesome. So the last one is surrender. And we have the opportunity to surrender it all to God, to live our lives open-handed. We serve a God who wants all of our attention, not just Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. He deserves all of our attention. And when we open our hands and surrender everything, we come not to a place of sorrow, but a place of freedom, joy, and peace. God gave us this book and the Holy Spirit to help us live our lives the way he designed it. The enemy will lie to you and say it's restrictive. It's not worth it. It's not that important. But when we lay it all down, our flesh, our sin, our most treasured possessions, even our lives and the lives of our loved ones, we gain it all. We gain God. We draw closer to him. And God's hand is the safest place to be. And God's hand is where true freedom and a full life is had. Abraham put Isaac on the altar and receives him right back. Sometimes we offer up our whole lives and God keeps us right where we're at. And other times he moves you to men. So it's like one or the other really. But each of us has to be willing to place all that we had under the kingship of Jesus to deny ourselves and follow him. And that's how I'd like to end this morning with a moment of self-denial, with a moment of surrender, I'll invite you guys to stand with me. In the verses we read in the beginning, Jesus said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. The only way for us to keep becoming more like Christ, the only way for us to keep on experiencing life that is truly life is through surrender. Deny the bad within, surrender the good around us, and we will find a richer life than we ever thought possible right here and right now. So, Father, we come to you. Father, we want to deny our flesh, to surrender it all. Father, we ask that, that you highlight areas of our life for us to give to you. Father, you've blessed so many of us with, with so much. And we take for granted that, we're, that you gave it to us. And, and we're, we're supposed to give it to you. It's supposed to be in the hands of the Father. 
So Spirit, speak to us. Come now. We invite you here to, to rest, to rest on our lives. Of, uh, of this story uh, from a guy named Bob Goff, uh, which is about trading and actually trading up. Um, and they used to have this thing on, on Craigslist that was trades. And um, there's these stories of people like starting with a like a paperclip, and then they trade it for something. And that they that they like a little bit better. They let it go, and then they get something better. And then they let it go, and they get something better. And they start with a paperclip, and they end with like a house or a sports car or whatever this thing is. And um, Bob Goff's kids did that. They like took some old couch from the basement and traded it up to some incredible thing. Um, and I just couldn't help but think of that as we're uh, just practicing this this act of surrender. Uh, that some of us in the room are, are holding paper clips um, or old couches in, in the basement. And if you grip tight to those things, then that's what you get. You get, you get your paper clip, you get your old couch or whatever it is. Uh, and yet what the Father has for you is so, so much better than the things that we grip to. We say, this is my right. I, I, I need to grip this. I don't want to let it go. What if I never get something like this again? And I think the Father just wants to blow you away with his heart. He's always standing there with something better, saying, hey, would you let go? Would you lay that thing down? As much as you love it, would you lay it down and then open up your hands to receive the next thing? I want to give you something better than what you have right now. Jesus, we continue this act of surrender this morning, seeing it as um, the beating heart of our discipleship, <laughs> to lay down our brokenness, but to lay down our best, Lord. And we do it this morning as a family, as an act of trust. We fix our eyes on the things that we can't see, not the things that we see. We fix our eyes on the things that by faith we know that you want to give us. It's actually better than what we have right now. So we fix our eyes on you now, Lord. We lay it at your feet. Knowing some of those things will get right back. Some of us will walk down the mountain with our Isaacs, knowing that God has us right where he wants us. And others of us are, are receiving new things right now, right here this morning. We're surrendering the good in order to receive the best. We look to you now, Jesus. Strengthen our hearts. Give us courage, Lord. We see your mercy, your compassion, your love. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us.
this heart posture of surrender, you can stay here as long as you want.